Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. The Athletic. This is the best club in the world. Don't care what other people do. Now a through ball. It's a straight ball into Robertson. And the finish from Nunez. It's a long way back for Southampton now. So Jürgen was in the stands, but that didn't halt Liverpool as they signed off for the World Cup break with a convincing win. Liverpool in sixth in the Premier League and 10 points off second place Man City. I suppose it's an improvement. With FSG putting the club up for sale, what does that mean for the squad as we go forward? And as the season breaks for the World Cup, we'll have a look at how the tournament can play a key role in Jude Bellingham's future and which other Reds could shine in Qatar. Now, don't forget, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read everything on the site on Liverpool and all the other teams if you head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. There's a special price of a pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. I'm Steve Hoversall, and as the season comes to a sudden end for the World Cup, James Pearce and the Belfast Telegraph's chief sports writer, Stephen Beacom, join me to reflect on the Southampton win and the season so far. And for the Southampton game, James, quite a few things for Jürgen to be pleased about, not least the fact that it's four consecutive wins, momentum, positivity and confidence. Yeah, it felt big, didn't it? I think... um... You could still pick plenty of holes in the performance, especially second half when, but for the heroics of Alison Becker, it would have got incredibly nervy. But it was about winning. It was about ensuring that you go into that, you know, this unique break we've got in the middle of the season on a high. And I, and I think you saw the scenes after the final whistle. You know, it was kind of, you know, bullish optimism, I'd, I'd say, in terms of, do you know what? It's been a torturous few months with some painful setbacks along the way, but... Do you know what? They're not they're not in the worst possible shape. I think, you know, the last few weeks, you know, to go and win at Tottenham in the way they did and then beat Southampton, climb back into the top six, still some you know big damage to repair in terms of getting into that top four. But, you know, with a you know the Carabao Cup to come, the Champions League last sixteen tie, the FA Cup to start off. And I think I think everyone as well has that feeling, don't they, that the second half of the season will be better. And that's that that's not just blind faith, I think. I think common sense tells you that when you look at, you know, the Liverpool only got seven players off to the World Cup, you know, lots of key personnel getting a proper rest, a second pre-season as Klopp's described it. Then you've got, you know, people like Diaz and, and Matip and Cater to come back from injury, a January window where they can where they can add to the squad. So yeah, I think it wasn't perfect, but especially in that first half on Saturday, I think there were signs of the old Liverpool in terms of certainly the, the attacking fluency. Maybe the real Liverpool. Stephen, who'd, who'd have thought we'd be celebrating Liverpool being in a Europa League spot? Sixth place. At least it feels slightly more positive. I know, and, and we need all the positivity we can get our hands on, Steve, because it has been an incredibly frustrating and inconsistent season. What I would say is this, that the result at Spurs was absolutely monumental for the rest of the campaign, and then to follow that up by beating Southampton was huge. 
Really, really pleased for Nunez as well to get two goals. Sends him off to the World Cup in really fine fettle. And it wasn't just um, uh, the two goals. It was actually the manner of the goals. I thought the first goal he took superbly well. Brilliant pass from Harvey Elliott to find him in the box. And that was a really clinical finish. And then the second goal is what you would call like a Klopp Liverpool goal. Um, Firmino releasing Andy Robertson, Robertson producing a brilliant ball and um, Nunes having the hunger, the desire and the ability to find the net once he got there to score and effectively finish the game even though Southampton came back into it in the second half and we were grateful for Alisson's brilliance and many times have we said that this season. I was thinking it's actually a bit of a shame that the break has come now but um, uh, when I look then at the players who'll come back from injury, you know, you're going to have Jota back. I think Jota is so important to this Liverpool team. Diaz, magnificent player, and um, I think Liverpool have missed him. And, of course, you'll have Matip hopefully fully fit too. So as long as no one gets injured in the World Cup, I think we'll be in a much better place come the time whenever the season begins again. Let's talk a little bit more on, on Darwin. You, you've written a piece, James. don't know whether you came up with the headline, but less chaos, more class how Liverpool are starting to see the best of Nunes. There's still a little bit of chaos there, isn't there? But, but it is brilliant to watch and everyone buys into him. And his development over a, a short period of time has been pretty fascinating. Yeah, I did. I did. I didn't write the headline, but I did. I, there is a line in the copy that says uh, less chaos, more more genuine class. I, I think we've seen that across certainly the games against Tottenham and Southampton. I think you, know, you could almost break Nunes's Liverpool career down into kind of three stages so far. I think... You know, there were the initial struggles and where he was you know really snatching at chances and you know obviously so desperate to impress I think his his head was a you know a bit frazzled and the pressure that an expectation that comes with being bought for that kind of money and coming to a club as big as Liverpool and and obviously all of that boiled over on that night against Crystal Palace when he, he got sent off and then the suspension and then being left out of a few big games that that followed that when he was clearly you know, still trying to kind of prove to Klopp that he could be fully trusted. And then I think then we all kind of loved probably from the start of October onwards the the kind of chaos that he was producing in games. And it was it was a bit of a backhanded compliment, wasn't it? Because it was almost like, you know, you never know what he's going to do next, which is, you know, edge of your seat stuff and box office as you're a supporter. And, he, you know, there were some brilliant moments, but also some of his decision making was, you know, absolutely off his head. You know, you, you think back to that breakaway against Man City when... You know, when he took that shot on, when I think you know, Salah was screaming for, for a pass. And, and I think, and there's been quite a few moments like that where, you know, you think of, you know, Ajax away where, you know, he misses an absolute sitter and yet scores a, a brilliant header. You know, it's, but he, he makes things happen. That's why I've, all the way along, I've loved watching him because I just think you, you can't take your eyes off him because you never know what he's going to do next. But I think it does feel like the, the third stage of Nunes now is there is more composure, there is you know, more polished to his performance. I, I thought that was the performance on Saturday of a of a proper elite attacker. I didn't think that was like some crazy maverick doing some great things and some and some awful things. I, I thought his movement was really intelligent. You know, Stephen touched upon it then. You know, you look at what he did in the build-up to the first goal. You know, he, he was offside initially, getting himself back onside, timing that run absolutely perfectly to get on the end of that Harvey Elliott pass. And then, you know, the second one, I thought... I, I thought, you know, it, it worked really well, I thought, because I think the danger with having him wide left in a front three is that too often, you know, you, you've got, you could have a situation where balls come in the box and, and probably your best kind of header of the ball and one of your most potent weapons is stuck out wide and you don't want that. 
but he, I thought he picked his moments really, really intelligently in terms of when to when to be an outlet down the left for Robertson, and then when when Robertson himself, you know, dashed forward down that left hand side, he got himself into you know really dangerous central areas, and his second goal was the you know the perfect number nine goal if you like, wasn't it? In terms of the desire, the anticipation, and and the and the technique to to tuck it away. So. Um, yeah, it wouldn't you know? It wouldn't surprise me if Darwin Nunes is one of the stars of the World Cup because he, he's going off full of belief, and it, it must be great for him to think when he's on that plane going to Qatar, thinking where he is now compared to where he was, you know, six eight weeks ago. Oh, you're so right. I mean, he he must have hit rock bottom personally when he was sent off against Crystal Palace on on day one, and then the succession of goals and the influence he's had, and even as James mentioned, playing on the left hand side, it, it feels like. He's at home there and he works so hard for the team, does his defensive duties as well. Stephen, I'm just going to share with, with James what you mentioned before he came on on this um, this pod with us. You said he reminds you of a certain player. So Some people listening, their jaws might drop at this one, but go on, who is it? Well, I, I remember being in Anfield the day that a certain Ronnie Rosenthal made his debut. And Ronnie Rosenthal was um, a raw footballer and then some. His first touch wasn't the best, but as James was saying about Nunes, he made things happen. And in many respects, back in 1990, Rosenthal's arrival at Anfield was the catalyst for Liverpool going on to win the title. I'm not sure that Nunes is going to win the title in his first season at Anfield, but um, uh, and I definitely hope that um, Darwin is around for a lot longer than Ronnie was. But yeah, there's a rawness there to Nunes, and it's exciting. You know, he does get you on your feet. He does get you thinking, what on earth is going to happen next with this guy gets the ball? He has to um, uh, learn a lot about the game, I suspect. But having someone like Roberto Firmino beside him, who's got one of the best football brains in modern day football, is going to help him enormously. Obviously, working with Jurgen Klopp and all the coaching staff at Anfield is going to enhance his development. And already you can see what they have done with Nunes, you know, um, against Southampton, he looked a far more intelligent footballer than he did a month ago, for example. And I think there's so much more to come from him. He's athletic, he's strong, he's quick, he scares defenders, and he's going to score goals. And what James was saying about the World Cup, imagine watching Suarez and Nunes in the same Uruguay team. They're going to be one of the teams to watch because, um, uh, you know, you could have chaos class composure, character, <laughs> and crazy antics between those two. Um, it's going to be bewildering to watch, exciting and entertaining. Um, Suarez and Nunes, what a double act that could be. I think we're all going to watch Uruguay, aren't we, in the, in the World Cup. For Bobby, a ninth goal of the season for him. He, he's had a bit of heartache, hasn't he, in the, in the past week, James? You know, never nice being left out of a World Cup, particularly... Well, this is probably, well, it is going to be his last chance to make it. So he, he didn't make it. And you saw when he scored the goal, all his teammates came round him. I, I just wonder whether that was a knock-on of the news that he'd received. Yeah, I think it was because, um, you know, I think Klopp touched upon it on Friday at his pre-match press conference that they all really felt for him because, it, you know, it's not as if Firmino has, has struggled in the opening months of the season. He's He's looked reinvigorated, to be honest. You know, you look at... You look at his numbers, and yeah, of course, Brazil have got a, a star-studded squad, and he's not the only big name not to make the cut. But um, I was surprised, really, really unlucky. And as you said, Steve, I think probably the added heartache for him is knowing that that you know this would have been his last 
last World Cup. But yeah, what a what a response from him. That was a brilliant header. I know the uh, the Neuro Eleven neuroscientists were at, they were at Kirby in the in the days leading up to Saturday, working with the players again on the on the set piece deliveries, and uh, it was a great great ball in from Andy Robertson. But yeah, just the execution of that header to get the placement and the power in the way he did just underlined what an incredibly intelligent footballer Roberto Firmino is, and yeah, he'll he'll obviously have to take that on the chin, and it will hurt him having to sit and watch Brazil. Probably go on and win the World Cup as well because you know certainly I'd be amazed if they didn't go all the way in Qatar. But it probably will benefit Liverpool in the second half of the season. The fact that you know at this stage of his career he is getting a proper break and then and then a, a bit of a pre-season over in Dubai when they when they fly off there in early December. And let's just quickly pay tribute to Alisson. Alisson Becker at his outstanding best again when he came out without the beard. There would have been a lot of people in Anfield, Stephen, thinking, oh, you've, you've not shaved your lucky omen off there, have you? <laughs> uh, it, it just didn't, didn't quite look the same as you, as you wouldn't without your, <laughs> your beard that you've always had. But he was brilliant. Second half, three magnificent saves. He's been Liverpool's player of the season, which tells you a lot about Liverpool's season in many respects. It's funny, when I saw him without the beard, I was fearing, is he going to be like Samson without his hair? Um, but he was as strong as ever. <laughs> Just produced some big saves at the right times because if Southampton had made it 3-2, it would have been a really edgy end to the match at Anfield on Saturday. But um, Alisson has been magnificent. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. And um, for people who don't believe that, I'm sure they'll see it whenever he plays in the World Cup for Brazil. I think we should also pay tribute to James Milner for making his 600th Premier League appearance. Listen, I'm old enough to think whenever you only talk about Premier League appearances. I remember the Football League and all that, but let's go with this for right now. Well done, James Milner. What a servant he has been, not only to Liverpool Football Club, but to the game in general. And he's one of those types of players that wherever you play him on the pitch, he's going to give you full commitment, full 100%. And um, he's still an important player for Liverpool going forward because he can play at left-back, right-back, anywhere across the midfield. Heck, if you put him up front, he'd probably do a job for you. He's that type of player. So I was really pleased to see him get the 600 up. And um, I'm certain he'll now be thinking the next milestone 650. Whether he makes that at Liverpool or not, we shall wait and see. But yeah, I think he's been a brilliant player for Liverpool. And number seven, of course, is such a huge number in the history of the football club. I think it's fitting right now that James Milner wears it because um, he's an outstanding servant. And although he's, he's obviously not going to have the iconic status of, say, a, a Kenny Daglish or a Kevin Keegan, I'm glad James Milner's wearing the number seven um, because he's a class act. Imagine the scenario. A much-loved and inspirational leader has announced his intention to take a career break and you need to find someone just as tactically astute and charismatic, but perhaps without the glasses and the teeth. Well, when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They've even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk. W-L-K to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right, we're going to move on to uh, to FSG and the future of, of the club and the Liverpool squad. James, you, you've touched on this in an article that people will want to read. Check back on the uh, the Athletic timeline and have a look at this one. Firstly, I suppose, it, has there been any advancement at all in, in, in terms of knowledge of potential buyers? Do we have any indication of of whether FSG are thinking they want someone to buy a percentage share or would they look at handing the whole club over? Both options are on the table, Steve. So I think probably too, still too soon to say. The biggest difference in kind of like where, where things are at now compared to previous occasions when this topic has come up is is always previously the message from Boston was it was only a minority stake. We'd consider 10-15% an attractive price that would inject some capital into, into the business. But I think um, the fact that they are open to a full sale pro- probably makes makes that you know, a real, you know, realistic outcome of all this. Obviously, there aren't too many people with three to four billion pounds, you know, burning a hole in their pocket. But um, it's, you know, it's a very, very rare opportunity, isn't it? To buy one of football's absolute crown jewels. And so, yeah, I think from what we know so far, there's, there has been, you know, there was interest before the story actually was broken by our colleague David Ornstein last week. And that that interest has, has, has snowballed since in terms of... Um, you know, consortiums and and rich benefactors as well coming forward and expressing interest, but yeah, it's it's not going to be a quick process. I think, regardless, because um, everything that has to be worked through with anything like this, in terms of you know, I, I know from when, when I've spoken to Tom Werner, Liverpool's chairman, previously, and when these things have come up, you know, there's there's times when they've held talks with with individuals and companies and. And, and they don't go anywhere, you know. Especially quite often when you when it comes to proof of funds, you know. It, it, okay, well, you know, you, you've made all you know all these all this talk, but can we see see the color of the money? And um, you know, there's obviously a process now that the the big U.S. banks are working them with to to establish exactly you know who is willing to pay what, and then and then they'll have to make a, a final call. But I thought you know it was interesting the fact that Mike Gordon is taking a step back from kind of day to day running of Liverpool. You know, handing more responsibilities over to Billy Hogan with with Mike Gordon kind of overseeing that process that um, that would suggest to me that you know this this is something they're they're very serious about and I think if 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 as long as the right offer is forthcoming then I I think it will be a full sale and Stephen I suppose we'll just have to have confidence and belief that FSG will act responsibly and act in the best interests as custodians would do. And that's what they've called themselves. So you have to believe that whatever the outcome, it will be an outcome that is beneficial for the club. Yeah, I'd like to think they'll do the right thing for Liverpool Football Club. Um, They've been owners now for 12 years. And in that time, Liverpool have won every single trophy going. The stadium capacity is going up. It's it's going to be 61,000 once the, the latest development is finished. There's arguments to say that FSG have made mistakes. And you could also say that um, 
you wish they'd have poured more money into the football club. But it's been a heck of a lot of a better time and a better period for Liverpool supporters than it was previously. If you remember Gillette and Hicks, boys, I'll just leave that there. We don't want to go back to those days, that's for sure, because that was a nightmare for Liverpool fans. What you want is if, if someone is going to buy the football club lock, stock and barrel, you want someone to come in who will obviously invest in the football club, do the right thing by the football club and the football fans, and also have the Liverpool ideals that are so important to everyone connected with the team. So um, it's going to be an interesting time, and it could be a new era. As long as Jurgen Klopp stays, and as, uh, as long as from his point of view he gets investment in the team, I think Liverpool can continue on what they've achieved over the past six, seven years. But yeah, every Liverpool fan is going to be watching this and how it all pans out. The question on the team is the really interesting one because that's what you focused on, James, on your piece. And you're questioning if an organisation puts something up for sale between now and the actual point where they sell it, are they really going to invest in what they've already got? For example, are they they going to try and break the bank to get, you know, some big midfielders in in the next transfer window? Another striker, perhaps, if needed, if if Bobby Firmino is to leave in the future. What does it mean in the the short term? What, What are your conclusions on that? Yeah, I, I think from speaking to various kind of industry experts on on this, because I think I, I looked at some of the numbers, and you know, I think you have to be careful you, with comparisons, because you know, for for example, you know, Newcastle didn't spend hardly anything before before their takeover went through, but you know, Mike Ashley never really put his hand in his pocket, did he? So you you can't really compare that. I think it was it was a similar situation at Man United before the Glazers came in. Certainly the feedback, well, two, two things really. One, the feedback from people at FSG is business as usual. While this process is ongoing, nothing changes regarding how we run the club. Same story in terms of what's generated goes back into the, the club. That won't change. And certainly kind of football finance guys that I spoke to for that piece said, yeah, I, I believe them because they said, well, why would you change really? Because they said for a start, you're talking about... Uh, I think the argument would be that you become so worried about the balance sheet and making that look as good as possible. You don't want to spend money on investing in the squad. But he said the flip side of that is whoever would be coming in would be having their own independent people analysing the squad, essentially determining, right, this is what you will need to do in the next 12, 18, 24 months. And he said, you know, if there has has been a lack of investment and there's glaring weaknesses in the squad that needs to be addressed, then anyone would, would factor that into their offer for the club anyway. And, you know, and of course, you've got a situation where if this dragged on well into 2023 and Liverpool didn't strengthen in January and look like they were in danger of missing out on the Champions League, then, you know, that's a £100 million hit potentially in terms of revenues. And, and that would that would affect an offer as well. So I don't think on that front, I don't think we'll see a, a big shift in, in emphasis, but I I do think that kind of that rebuild that's that's on the horizon, you know, is, is one of the reasons why they are seeking this fresh investment because, um, as Stephen said, I think by and large, um, yes, they've made some big mistakes along the way, but FSG have been very good owners for Liverpool. When you look at, you know, where the club was at, where it's at now, you know, not just the success on the field but off it. You know, and and again, people say like that's another reason why it's so attractive to potential investors. Look at the stadium. You know, the the Anfield Road End is going to get completed next summer. 
you know, capacity up to 61,000, 50 million pound new training ground. You know, everything has been improved across the board. You've got arguably the best manager in world football under contract till 2026. So there's a lot to like there. But what does need some serious surgery is that midfield department in particular, because um, Liverpool really want Jude Bellingham. You know, that's no secret. We've written about that and talked about that on The Athletic many times. But, you know, that you're talking about a hundred million pound investment, probably minimum, if you're going to win the race for him. And then when you throw into the mix, you've got Cater, Oxlade, Chamberlain, Milner, all out of contract next summer. You know, by the start of next season, Jordan Henderson will be 33. Thiago will be 32. Liverpool need a minimum of three senior midfielders. You know, Bellingham hopefully will be one of them. But, you know, so that's, you know, you're talking about you know, what's that potentially... You know, upwards of 150 million, maybe even 200 million. And the reality is the current business model, which has been investing everything that's been generated and, and then it's topped up by sales, that isn't going to cut it in the next you know, 12, 18 months or whatever. Liverpool need need more than that. because I, And I think the other factor is when you look at the current squad, there aren't, a, there aren't really that many real saleable assets. You know, when you... You know, we talked when we talked about Michael Edwards. You think about the deals he did for you know selling Solanke and Jordan Ibe and Brad Jones and um, sorry Brad Smith, not Brad Jones, and you know all, all of these kind of players that generated serious cash. Rian Brewster. I'm not sure Liverpool really have that option at the minute to to generate an extra fifty or sixty million pounds. You know, going into a window. It's massive money, isn't it, that they need to invest? Obviously, one of the key names on the lips of all Liverpool fans, you mentioned him, uh, Jude Bellingham. He's heading to a World Cup. It's a competition that could actually add an extra dimension to this young star. Everyone expects him to be one of the shining lights of the World Cup, Stephen. And actually, that, that could affect any transfer situation following the World Cup. Well, already, Steve, he's one of the hottest properties in the game. If he has a brilliant World Cup, and I think a lot of us expect that to happen, he could become the number one hot property in world football. He is a sensational young talent. He's only 19 years of age. Um, already he looks like he's an all-round midfielder. He can do everything. He can get forward and score goals. He knows how to pass a ball. He seems as if tactically and technically he's got every attribute going. And defensively, he can do a job there as well. I just hope Gareth Southgate plays him. <laughs> That's my only um, worry, that Southgate mightn't um, let him off the leash, as it were, and he, he might go sort of cautious. But um, Bellingham is a brilliant talent. Liverpool obviously have been linked with him since he was about 16. It would almost be um, a real disappointment now if he didn't come to Liverpool. And you, you watch Bellingham and um, he talks about his love of Stevie G. He talks about his respect of Liverpool and you almost think this is a match made in heaven. But ultimately it's going to come down to finances, isn't it? And um, Real Madrid and Barcelona, where do they get the money from with all their problems, by the way? Manchester United are going to be in for Manchester City, Chelsea. Every big club in the world is going to want this kid because he's got so much going on and he could um, become one of the best midfielders in the world for the next decade. I hope he has a brilliant World Cup for him personally. I would say this, so I've never been a big fan of buying players on the back of a one World Cup. There's been some absolute nightmares for Liverpool Football Club in that scenario. But um, Bellingham has already proven himself to be a class act and a quality operator. And I'm sure his um, if he gets the chance, he'll um, do that again and um, show what he's all about in Qatar. Gareth, play the kid. 
He's got everything going on. If you want to go far in this competition, play him. And you see, and if you get to the knockout stages, Mr. Southgate, you got to play Trent Alexander-Arnold because World Cups are often won on risks. And Trent Alexander-Arnold can be the man who can deliver that ball for Harry Kane to get you into the semi-finals of the finals. I don't think Gareth is a risky manager somehow, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> I want to know who Stephen was referring. Are we talking El Hajjouf there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did come to mind, Jim. He really did. <laughs> he was top of the list, isn't he? Um, it's interesting that the Dortmund CEO has spoken about this. He's at Wackham, uh, I think it's uh, Watka. And he's been quoted as saying they'll discuss it pleasantly and reasonably with Jude after the World Cup uh, with him and his family. Which sort of says to me, he knows he can't keep him regardless, James. Oh, 100%. Yeah, Jude, but there's, there's absolutely no chance Jude Bellingham will still be at Dortmund come the start of next season. I still would be absolutely amazed if he went anywhere in January because I think, you know, if, you, if you're Dortmund, you look at it, they're still in the Champions League knockout stage. I think in the Bundesliga, they're a couple of points off the top four spots. I think, you know, why on earth would you sell him in January unless, you know, unless there is like a desperate need for, for cash behind the scenes? I'd have thought it would make a hell of a lot more sense for them to keep him until the summer, but... Yeah, that that will be as long as it goes for for Bellingham at, at Dortmund. There's no shortage of interest, is there? Where you know, Man City, United, Chelsea, Real Madrid. You know, I know Liverpool have done a, a lot of groundwork in terms of you know they've had that relationship with his family ever since he spent a few days at the academy when he was in the under 11s at Birmingham. And you know, as it was back then, you know, Liverpool couldn't convince them to to up sticks and and come up north. You know, they decided to to stay at Birmingham. And you'd have to say they've made some pretty shrewd decisions so far in terms of his trajectory. But yeah, Dort- I think Dortmund are in a position where they know, you know, that I think uh, we did a, we did a piece recently where the, the guidance from senior figures at Dortmund were, was 150 million euros they were looking for, which was 130 million pound, I think. You know, I don't, I don't think that's unrealistic, especially, especially if he does have a great World Cup and he probably is a bit too attacking for Gareth Southgate's liking, but I think he's so good that I don't even think Gareth Southgate can ignore someone of Bellingham's calibre. So I'm, I'm sure he will he will start for England. And um, I, th- I thought it was interesting last week when Klopp was asked about um, in the newspaper breakout of the, the Friday press conference about, you know, it, you know this search for new investment. It, is it because if you want to attract players like Bellingham that... You know that that's what this club needs, and um, and he didn't shy away from that. He said he said well, you know, he didn't name names, but he said yeah, that there are times when you need proven quality, and he said and you can't get away from the fact that is very expensive, and he said you know of course I don't want to move away from bringing young kids through. You know, you know he you know he rattled off the names that we've all enjoyed watching so far this season. You know, you look at Harvey Elliott and Carvalho and Stefan Bassetic and. You know Ben Doak, who was who was great off the bench against Derby. They, you know Liverpool aren't going to suddenly whatever happens, they're not going to suddenly start blocking the pathway of young young lads like that. But yeah, Klopp said himself that you know the the reality is that the the biggest deals they've done under him have been because they've had, they've had a huge injection of cash. You know the perfect example being you know selling Coutinho and buying Van Dijk and Allison. And Liverpool aren't in a position this time around where they they haven't got a Coutinho. And they haven't got a Barcelona queuing up with a big, big sack of cash. So, if they want someone like Bellingham, it, it's that—that's why they need this, this fresh investment. Because, um, 
you know, and you can say you know, people obviously along the way have criticised FSG for not putting their hand in their pocket to a greater degree, but they've done what they said they would always do, which was the club had to live within its means. But if Liverpool are going to stay at the top, that they need a bit more than that, certainly in the next couple of years, to give them give them that lift to go again. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Right, let's have a look at the Reds heading to the World Cup. So seven players are going to uh, to Qatar. Alisson and Fabinho for Brazil. Trent and Jordan for England. Canate with France, thankfully he's fit. Uh, Virgil van Dijk with the Netherlands and Darwin Nunez uh, with Uruguay. That figures, Stephen, it's actually far less than Man City, United, Chelsea, Tottenham or even Arsenal. They, they've all got more players heading out to the World Cup. There's a couple of aspects on this, isn't it? You, you want your best players to play. It's a shame the likes of Mo isn't there. At the same time, this is a chance for a bit of a, a reset for, for Jürgen and some of the other players that are going to go to this warm weather training camp in Dubai. Yeah, it's good for players to get a break. This is a complete unique sort of season in football. So we don't really know how it's all going to pan out, but the Magnificent Seven are going. It should have been the Great Eight, though, shouldn't it? Like, how is Thiago not in the Spain squad? When I heard that, I was thinking, does this mean that Xavi, Iniesta and Xavi Alonso are in this squad? Because surely that's the only way that Thiago can miss out. So he must be bewildered by that decision, you know. But get a rest, Thiago, and come back all the stronger. For the seven who are going, listen, the World Cup's humongous. It really is. It's monumental. Everyone will be watching this. There will be people who don't watch football who'll tune into this tournament to see penalty shootouts, to see drama, to see heartache, to see joy, to see the whole package. It's it's incredible to watch the World Cup. And I just hope that the Liverpool boys do really well. I hope they get game time. It'll be really interesting. I know I spoke about Trent, but it'll be interesting as well to see if Jordan Henderson plays much for Liver- for, for England. And also, I hope none of them get injured. You know, I'm looking at Canate for France. You know, he's a big player for Liverpool, so I want him to come back fit as a fiddle. Alisson and Fabinho, they're obviously going to go deep in the tournament. Brazil, that'll be interesting as well. And Van Dijk, I have wondered all season if he's been waiting for the World Cup. You know, so um, and I'm hoping once it's done and dusted that he'll come back all the better for it. But do you know what? I'd love one of them to win it. I'd love Liverpool to come back with a World Cup winner. I think that would be absolutely phenomenal, just for the club's history and also for the player themselves. You know, I, I like to see Liverpool players do well in whatever stage they're playing on, be it the international or the club stage. And um, it would be fantastic to see one or two of those lads come back with a World Cup winner's medal. It really would. I'm looking forward to the tournament. It should be fascinating. I don't know who'll win it. James is obviously going for Brazil. I think this is a really tough one to call. 
and I'm probably one of the, the few people in Northern Ireland who wants England to go a long way. If there's Liverpool players playing for any national team, I want to see them do well, and that's the case with England as well. And I think um, from an interest point of view, the, the more that England can do in terms of going far in a tournament, the better it will be. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Do you know what, James? I might join you with tipping Brazil. I might just go there. Um, because you're right, they've got a, an incredible squad and Alisson is the best goalkeeper in the world. So what about him being the hero in a penalty shootout in the final? Absolutely. We, we could have two World Cup winners in the Liverpool squad then, couldn't we? Look, let's finish um, with a thought from James on the finest Christmas ad release at the moment. No, it's not John Lewis. It's, uh, it's LFC Retails. I'm sure you've, you've seen it, James. It's brilliant. Have you not watched it yet? No. Oh, it's magnificent, this. Oh, <laughs> Aldo and Rushy sneaking into I'm going to say Melwood but the AXA <laughs> the AXA centre and uh, and playing footy with John, Chris John Kirkland Aldridge on the pitch acting. well John Aldridge in a tight fitting oh, Liverpool I need, I need jumper trying to act uh, Jurgen Klopp almost chasing them off the well not chasing them he shouts from the balcony Aldo mutters a swear word something like shit <laughs> and then him Rushy and Chris Kirkland run off it's fantastic well done LFC re- Retail, it, it gets John Aldridge down to an absolute tea. Um, right, that's the red agenda. That's the end of the season. Well, the end of the first half of the season anyway. Stephen, absolute delight to have you on. Thank you very much, pal. Thank you, Steve. And James, as always, superb stuff. Thank you for listening uh, along to the red agenda. Really appreciate your comments and your support for the pod. Hope you have a great next month and a half. And of course, the Reds are next back in action in the League Cup clash at the Etihad on Thursday, December the 22nd. Fingers crossed we might have some World Cup winners and hopefully the second half of the season is a bit more consistent. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.